Chief, can you guys hear me? Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. Hello, everyone. It's Tyson Jackson. Come out at Weber and the board. We have S&P futures slightly up, up seven. NASDAQ futures up 24. Dow futures up 38 after we had a pretty down day all day yesterday. And then we snuck up on the close and actually finished the mixer up a little bit. So it was kind of an odd day, very slow, but it was way down. They just kind of crept up, crept up, and all of a sudden there we were. Up, uh, everybody's waiting for these CPI numbers tomorrow. So I'm, I'm suspecting today will be a snorer as well. But not, he's no snorer, that Brennan Kernan. Brennan, how are you, bud? I'm doing okay. Can you hear me this morning, Chief? Absolutely. You're coming in loud and clear. Great. This Zoom, this new invention, you know, it's like, uh, what can you say? It's almost as good as the old landlines were that we got rid of. I know. Isn't that a shame we got rid of all the landlines? Of course, it was very uh, difficult to be mobile and call from your car or call from uh, a walk or something if you are out on a landline. You need a long cord. Um, that is the truth. Uh, not that there wasn't advances, but uh, the idea, uh, you guys, I mean, I was doing some expert witness stuff a few years ago, and I would call into the, the meeting with the landline in the office and there'd be five attorneys on there all charging a gazillion dollars an hour, and you couldn't hear any one of them as they all used their cell phone. Could, couldn't you? they at least pick up the phone in the office if they knew it was a conference call? <laughs> oh, yeah, those old conference call things were amazed when they would sit in the middle of the table. Um, no, no, I mean, just, just and people, that, they don't realize that the cell phone or the walk-around phone in the house, which is even worse because it goes through the... Whenever sound, and Matt knows this better than me, whenever sound goes through something... It loses. So if you set, if you force it through like three or four things, you're going to have a very degraded. So if you if you get the walk around thing, it's, it goes through there, and then it, it signals over to the other one, right? Like walls and cabinets. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, but it signals over to the to the 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 thi- whatever you want to call it, the holster for the phone. You know the ones I'm talking about, the ones you could pick up and yep. walk around. With. And uh, then by the time it it came here, even though the machine here was uh, machines we used to use, you had what was the name of those lines, Minnie? The, uh, uh, not an ISDN, uh, anyway, but they were a lot of money, and you had these machines that you actually were in the studio because you had a double line, and it made everything digital go over the line. It's pretty neat. Now nobody uses those anymore. But uh, anyway, how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, your sacks aren't doing so bad. The Cubs aren't doing so bad. We might actually have a couple of teams this year, huh? I know, and although I don't know if the Sox are going to have be able to field the team pretty soon. They keep losing players. <laughs> yeah, well, they seem to have had the injury bug pretty bad the last couple of years. They sure have. And uh, I don't it know. to be seeing what's going to happen with Tim Anderson after uh, after he got hurt yesterday in the game. But he stayed in for a couple of innings afterwards. And then Joe Kelly, of course, uh, did the old adductor grind pull, running out to uh, to participate in a clearing of the bench brawl where nothing happened. Uh, yeah, it's... Uh... 
It'll, it'll still happen once in a while, and you run. And then once in a while, somebody takes a swing at somebody doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. Which you kind of wonder how that how that works. <laughs> but anywho, the uh, I'm I'm surprised. Uh, matter of fact, I could have sworn, Matty, that uh, they were dumping the man on second base for extra innings this year. They ended up not doing that. Correct. Yeah, they dumped it for the postseason last year, but it's back for the regular season. Why did Why did I think it was dumped? Uh, there was talks about it. I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's set in stone that they're going to keep doing this every year. It, it's something they're going to keep revisiting. I don't mind it in the regular season, to be honest. It, the it, ghost runner, I don't either. It speeds up the game. And, you know, the pitch clock has really worked well. It, it, game times are down by 30, 35 minutes. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, how, it's the way baseball is meant to be played, yep. and, uh, which is great. And then, yeah, I, got, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's nice to have the marathon game every once in a while, but I'm fine with the 10-inning or 11-inning game. I don't need the 16- or 17-inning game. Yeah, I would. Well, uh, and then you got to fly. Game, but, but the 9-inning game that goes for four hours. Well, that's, yeah, that's brutal. That was, that was bad. I, uh, I just, I don't know that you, I don't know you needed it with the pitch clock, though. I mean, I think it, I guess my own, my opinion on this, which nobody gives a Well, a lot of people hate it. A lot of people hate the Ghost Runner. Next yeah, I, I, I sort of don't like it either. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't gonna... dislike it. I, I don't care, necessarily. I just, I got no problem with the, re- like, last night's Cubs game, um, you know, it goes what ten innings, and and you're out of there. I don't need I don't need a seventeen inning marathon game because that was a pitcher's duel. There wasn't a lot of offense. That game could have gone forever. But the the first thing is every inning with the guy in second ends up being a long inning. Well, not with pitch clock. <laughs> well, I'm saying they ended up with guys' bags loaded. And yeah, no, that's true. Um, I just thought maybe with the I really thought the pitch pitch clock, and again, this is one goof, goofball's opinion. There was going to be such a tremendous change. I think they should have just done that for a year. I don't know if you even needed the shift with the pitch clock. Change. Uh, there's other people that are saying that as well. That that could be the case. Um, some people didn't like abolishing the shift. They wanted hitters to adjust, not have to change the rules. I see that. I see all sides of it. They could have phased this in, um, but um, I, the fact is, balls are being put in play more. Uh, the games are way shorter. Yeah, and, 31 and, minutes. And so uh, you know, stolen I, I, bases are up. Stolen yeah. bases are way up. I, to me, it's a success. You know, ten games into the year. I uh, I agree. So Brennan, being the the attorney. And you know, he's used to cross-examining people and grilling them, just like Perry Mason. I'm going to say I watched two guys try and bunt last night uh, in Texas. You you can't tell me that those guys wanted to fail so they were never asked to bunt again. <laughs> <laughs> I just you know, it's I, no nobody want none of these players want to bunt. Bunting is a lost art. You know, there used to be times I remember when we were kids, we would we would spend. 10 minutes of every practice learning how to lay down a bunt. How to square up, how to keep the bat level so you didn't pop it up. And I don't think anybody does that anymore because all you want to do is, is hit home runs and as a result, most people either hit home runs or strike out or walk. Well, if you totally look like a, a moron the two times they ask you, the manager's not going to ask you again. And I think people are aware of that. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I think if, if, if it goes back to basic fundamentals, if it goes back to small ball and bunting get, gets hold again, uh, the manager will keep saying that we know he can bunt. He's a good bunter, even if it's Aaron Judge or somebody like that. You know, just put him out there, make him bunt. Well, how many people, uh, Matt, you've probably watched more, how many people are actually doing the new shift? I, I have not seen that yet, but I haven't watched that many games. I haven't get? seen it to the extent that we were seeing last year, where it was really exaggerated. But I have seen some outfielders playing shallow 
um, on one side to a guy that's not going to hit it the other way. I, I have seen that a little bit, but not like the, the crazy exaggeration. I think it's too risky, especially, um, you know, if, if in a long nine inning game to to play with two outfielders. I just, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't, I don't, I haven't seen it a lot. Yeah, because I mean, uh, they were doing it in spring training where they moved a center fielder over. They were definitely trying some things out, no doubt. Yeah, I, uh, well, you know, once in a while you, you still have to wonder. Uh, Ian Happ was the other night, and he's and he's played played good ball the last few years. You can't all star last year. Well, he was on. Uh, they had a, the guy shifted over as far as they could go, so the third baseman was uh, was you know, kind of the shortstop spot, and the shortstop like had one foot on second base, that kind of thing. And uh, so the the guy in second, I remember it was Pat Hughes goes, I don't think if this guy takes off from second that the third baseman can beat him to the bag. So he was that far off. I mean, I'm listening to radio. I'm thinking, God, all Hap's got to do is put one down the third base line. He advances the guy, and he's on first. What, what could be yeah. easier? He, but I, I recall when I was, you know, I wasn't going to get too far in baseball, but I was on a Little League All-Star team, and we had to practice every day for a month until so we got our ass kicked up at Dillon Stadium. We, we weren't that good, Brendan. We weren't even the best All-Star team in Evergreen Park, but we went to the first game, and it didn't work out so well. Uh, but when you, when you bunt, you're supposed to essentially catch the ball with the bat, right? To direct it. You're not supposed to stab at it. These right. guys all you stab, stab at it. it. You don't push at it. You just allow it to kind of hit your bat. You hold the bat steady. Yeah, and you actually almost receive it. Yep. And uh, and but these guys, they all stab at it. So you, you can't tell me they spent much time in spring training on this. Their, their, their fundamentals are awful. Yeah. Well, you can see that not only in bunting, but how few contact, true contact hitters there are now. I mean, you think about a guy like Nellie Fox and how many times did he strike out in a year never mind a career or Ted Williams or Joe DiMaggio you know and I mean they just made contact even if even if they made outs they put the ball in play you don't see that so much anymore I think the pitching though I don't know Matty's right the pitching the relief pitchers is, is it's a lot better you know you're not facing the guy that's in true the... and fresher arms they yeah. throw harder there's fresher arms and it's also going to be interesting to see how pitching stats evolve because I don't think you're ever going to see you're never going to see a 30 game winner anymore and I think you're, the way pitching is going now you're going to see fewer and fewer 20 game winners anymore even if a guy gets 30 35 starts a year um, he's not going to get 15 20 wins because he, so many games are won in the second half of the game the, you know, from the 5th inning 6th inning on and the starting pitchers aren't around Well, if you, if you have a guy that is not a a starter. A lot of these starters aren't anymore. They're, they're pretty good. Uh, if, you, if you're the guy who's not doing the, what do they call it, Matty, the, the max effort pitch, but if, if you're Fergie Jenkins who can throw 95 but throws 91 because he doesn't throw it as hard as he can every pitch like some of these guys, yeah. I don't know that if you're at 80 pitches in the sixth inning and you haven't given up a run, why you sit your ass down? I mean, why, cause it seems like you, you, could, you could throw shutouts for six innings 25 times, and still you could be 500. You're giving it all up to the bullpen. I don't know if I'd want to do that. Yeah. By the way, Brendan mentioned the uh, the demise of the 30-game winner and then said, you know, the 20-game winner, winner might be going away. I think it already kind of has gone away. There's only been yeah, it has. two 20-game winners in the last six seasons. Two total yep. guys. Well, they used, the guys used to get 
40 starts now if you get 30 you're rare right right guess what the record is of, of the two 20 game winners 20 and 5 and 20 and 3 yeah <laughs> i mean those are unbelievable they had to have a sensational season just to get to 20 and they got right at 20 well, that's that's what that's what they must be going all the way or most of the way yeah. because you can't be giving three games up to the bullpen or they're going to blow more than five on you right three that's my three and in, three innings what uh can you find out on your little magic ball there what uh What's the most number of starts anybody had last year? I'm going to say 32. Um, give me a minute. I'll look it up. So, uh, Brandon, are you, if you had a house here, are you selling it like everybody else because of the new mayor? Uh, not yet. Uh, we're, we're thinking about a bunch of different things, and that's certainly one of them because I'm very nervous with the new mayor, with the mayor-elect. Yeah, I'm a... Garrett Cole had 33 starts last year. That was the most. We were pretty close. Yeah, right on. Um, I just got, uh, was out, remember, uh, remember Robert, <clears throat> uh, Brendan, guy from the uh, Federal Reserve. He was yeah. in last night. We went to dinner with him and uh, Stephanie, who used to be on the show all the time before she had the little baby, mm-hmm. who's now walking around at age four and is a gorgeous little girl and, and terrifically behaved. She was there. She was with us. So we had Robert and I had our dates, <clears throat> Steph and little Claire. So we, we were matched up. Uh, and uh, he was just back from South Africa. And he, he said he, he was at a, a seminar and his hotel was five minutes away. So he walks over there. He said, I, when I drove through, I realized that everything was kind of gated. Or everything's got fences around it and stuff. So it turns out it's incredibly in, unsafe in Johannesburg. Oh, Johannesburg is horrible. Well, he didn't, he didn't know that. He's an economist. What can I tell you? He, says, he goes, how the hell did you make it home without getting like, shot or, or mugged or something? In yeah, because um, I was in Johannesburg this summer, and we, we just stayed at the airport for one night, and we were told not to leave the hotel even to get food, you know, we, we kind of came in late, and they said, "Don't leave the airport. Don't leave the airport hotel. Not don't leave the airport, but don't leave the airport hotel." What what is what is his deal? Chicago being one of them. Uh, maybe the perception isn't as bad as the is worse than the reality, but it's still pretty bad. What is this with failures of governments to make their people safe? What don't don't they get it? That's their first job, for God's sake. Well, I, you know, I think it's very complicated, uh, and you know, there's there's a lot of um, animosity between the police forces and uh, many of the people in the community, and they don't. There's no trust. There's no trust factor with the police, and I I think that it's um, it's something that's evolved over the years. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, officer friendly, where the police officer comes in to the class and just you know says. The police officer is your friend. And I think it's evolved that um, many people no longer trust the police for a variety of reasons, some legitimate, some not legitimate. And as the mistrust grows, uh, the other side of it is that people are unwilling to say that some cops do bad things. You know, and, and this, is, uh, this is commonplace with unions, all over, uh, why unions have a bad rap generally, but but especially with the police in a safety role, if a cop really badly misbehaves, the other cops have to say, yeah, he's a bad cop. He needs to be punished or he needs to be let go. He needs to be fired. And when that doesn't happen and there's you know, the blue coats to, uh, to cover up for that, then it diminishes the trust factor of the police. And when it escalates, that makes it less safe for everybody in the community and uh, and it demoralized the police. I know a lot of cops who are, are really 
demoralized because of what has happened over the last few years. And I mean, just yesterday, uh, a report came out that that young cop who shot the 13-year-old kid, Toledo, uh, is in line now to be fired. Um, and, you know, I think that was a really, really tough situation for him. But I don't think that he should be fired for, uh, my opinion is that he should not have been fired for that circumstance. And yet he is going to be fired, um, it looks like. Well, my, uh, uh, my, my judge buddies that I learned from on, on Wednesday night, if you were around, you would, you would certainly be invited. Uh, the idea that we have the toughest, some one of the toughest gun laws in Illinois in the whole country, and yet any anybody who looks at that law, and if you sat in class, well, like I did in Chicago for a while, I said, okay, what is going to be the reaction to essentially the criminals to this law? And every, I mean, if you, if you knew the law at all, like you do, you're going to say, uh, the, the people with the guns holding the guns are not going to be minors. They're going to be under the age of 18 because the difference in the penalty between somebody who's of age versus somebody who isn't is let them go that night or 30 years in jail. I mean, it's 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 dramatic, the difference. Mm-hmm. Of, of, of if you, I think what uh, Bill told me, if you use a firearm in a, in a robbery, it's 30 years. I mean, it's, it's incredible. There's no plea bargain. There's no nothing. And yet, if you're a minor, you're basically let go. So that guy who was with that kid that night, the 13-year-old was carrying the gun. Yep. And he got afraid and After tried to talk. Shooting. Yeah, he got After afraid. The shooting. And he pulled it out, and he and his intention was evidently to toss it. And all the gun, all the cops saw was the gun coming out and shot him. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I first of all, you, you know, I mean, uh, whatever. I don't know all the details, but this this should be anticipated by our law our lawmakers. They got to close this gap somehow. Yep. So, and uh, but I mean, I. I had a we had a nice Easter uh, cooked for some people over at odds, and a couple of her friends were you know, God, Brendan, you know me forever, and I'm not I'm not Mister like uh, uh, Mister right right wing or anything you know, when it comes to this stuff, but to tell you the truth, I've become way more of kind of a law and order after after my buddy's wife got killed on the expressway. It really affected me, mm-hmm. and uh, and it, this the person I was talking to, and, and he's a really good guy. He, and he does uh, donates time with the what do you call the guys at the airport to t- tell people how to get places and stuff uh, travelers of aids or something. And he was giving me this long story about how you know the blacks and the Puerto Ricans are uh, br- black or brown. Uh, how many times they've been like pulled over and blah 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 when other people haven't for a taillight and, and Brendan, I I don't want to see anybody pull anybody over because of their color. I don't, I never want to see that. Why do you have a broken taillight? I, I've never had a broken taillight. Just drive down a seat and dared somebody to, to uh, I mean, it's, it's some, now what does that mean? That if you see somebody that you know is of color and they go down the street at 80 miles an hour with two broken taillights, you, you have to let them go to somehow make up for it? I mean, I, I don't get the, the quid pro quo. I, I, if somebody actually did that five years ago, two weeks ago, 20 years ago, I think it's, a, it's, it's you know, it's horrible. You should, that should never happen. But how does that translate into, we got to let a guy go today that just shot somebody. I, I don't see how that. I don't get the connection there at all. Bad people need to be afraid of the police and the law. I'm afraid. I'm, I'm sorry. That's just the way the world is. If you're a 12 year old male, you got to be afraid your old man's liable to deck you if you get too far out of line. How, how do you? How do you? 
I mean, hopefully he won't, and he talks. But I'm saying, how, how do we decide we're not human anymore? No, I agree, and I think that that, that having having people who commit crimes be afraid of going to jail is a reality, and that's where you also get into the prosecution approach of something like Kim Fox and the no bail laws, where you allow everybody out without bail. Um, if there if there is a, if there has been a crime and substantial evidence about it that you know probable cause then i agree that that they should be punished and kim fox for example is one of those folks who should be prosecuting more and not letting people go because that does make a revolving door and the cops are demoralized because they put the same guy in 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 jail three times in a month and every time they put him in jail he's out the next day and that does not bode well for the safety of the community or for the morale of the police. I totally agree with you on that. But I don't, I don't know what the... I just... My uh, my buddy uh, John Lee has been on the show that has lived in Singapore. He's coming back now, thank God, because uh, I like to see him once in a while. Uh, says the amount of freedom in Singapore, ten times more than it is here, in terms of your everyday life, even though the place is a totalitarian regime. I, mean, I, I got to believe they've got really bad cops too, but nobody challenges them. Mm-hmm. You, the, the the thought of opening up somebody's open car and stealing something off the front seat, you just don't do. And I I don't I don't want to be Singapore, right? I don't want to I want to have people, you know, beating people and cutting hands off, whatever else they do over there. I don't even want to know. But the fact is, he said his kids get on the L or the, or the bus at ten thirty at night, going over to visit a buddy from school, and they never even never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and somehow or another. That's worth something. There's got to be a middle ground. Yeah. Well, and public transportation is another area where crime is increasing, and that is scary. Um, you know, and and like just taking the Green Line out to Oak Park, there are some scary parts of that. And now the only person who's on the train is the driver, the conductor. Yeah. And you know, there's there's nobody. I mean, I remember the days when they used to have the people. Uh, who operated the doors in like the middle car? Conductors. They had to look up both ways, and that at least was another person who could keep an eye on things. And uh, it, it's, you know, the, there are cars that are filthy, there are cars that reek of cigarette smoke, and others that reek of marijuana smoke, and loud, loud noises and um, and people yelling and screaming and, and fighting on the train. It's. Um, it's it's scary, and that's another one of the things that the mayor-elect has to confront because you know the CTA is in dire shape as far as financial uh, its financial makeup, and without a public transportation system, I think the problems are going to get worse. Well, the interesting from the economic or, or the accounting thing, why is it, Brandon, that you have all these trains and they all had a conductor? For those that don't know, if you ever get on a an L train, and you see one of the middle cars next to the door, looks like there's all these paraphernalia for like knobs and so forth. That's where the conductor used to stand, and he would look out that window, and he would in the middle of the train and see if people are are on the platform, whether everybody's clear into the car or not. Now the the driver does that from the the the, the beginning, the end of the front end of an eight car train, where he can't see anywhere near as well. But the weird part is, Brenda, we we're going to save all this money. Okay, so you fire all these guys. Now you saved all this dough. I'm going to say the overhead for the CTA is every bit as high as it was when those people were there. 
It's now in the home office and bonuses and God knows what to those people. And they're all people that have nothing to do with driving the train. I don't think you say over a period of 10 years, I don't think you saved a dime. I tend to agree with that. And and the safety is much less because there's nobody who can report or call in for police help, for example. Or right, because the, the motorman now, the motorman used to be able to leave his door open. They don't do that anymore. It's all totally locked. Mm-hmm. So, to get, so the guy can't come out. Well, that's that's been happening for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's it's twenty years since anybody, and, and I think you know, just like with hijacked planes, you don't want accessibility to the the door where the motorman is. So but if there's a huge fight in that car, he can, he's not even going to call in. Where the other guy can at least call in. We didn't expect him to break it up. Right. Yes. He, but he can at least do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I, I, but the, the but the the leadership we have on every level, and that's really the the basis of the concern on this guy becoming mayor. He, he was he was a four-year public school teacher. He gets on the county commissioner because he's an organizer, what the hell that means. Uh, explain to me the part how he gets hired by the teacher's union as a rabble-rouser consultant, essentially, for seven years, but now he's got 11 years into the city pension fund, even though he only taught four years. What the bleep is that all about, Brendan? That, that is one of the, the vagaries of Illinois pension law. That, and, and this is true not only for Brandon Johnson and for the CTU, but it's the way a lot of politicians uh, and, and union leaders build their pensions into million dollar, multi-million dollar pensions. And that is that if they take a position with their union, they get credit, even if they're working full-time, 40 hours a week, what have you, for their union, they get credit as if they were a line worker, as a teamster, as a, a teacher, whatever the, the union purpose is. And they get credit for their union activity. Well, my, uh, real quick, my uncle was the head of the Chicago uh, School Engineers Union for, God, 20 years. He never stopped being an engineer. He never stopped going to work. This was a side job. Right, and, and that's the way it was for a long period of time that the the union leaders still worked their their job as an engineer, stationary engineer, as a you know a teacher, as a cop, what have you. But in and then as it evolved into more of a profession, quote unquote, the uh, the way to reward them before their duties. It, it really it's excess compensation for the union leaders, but it was a way that and they got the legislation passed. For union for pension requirements to um, to count their time as a full time union employee uh, towards credit for their pension when they retire. Well, I guess he was an employee. He never got paid by the union. <laughs> never had, there was no salary. There was volunteer. Mm-hmm. How scary is that, Brennan? Thank you very much. But take care. SP futures now down fifty cents. Nasdaq down twenty. We so we've, we've spun forty points really in the first half hour of the show. I'm not sure why that is. The CPI numbers aren't until tomorrow. Be right back, uh, Mr. Joel Conan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. 
Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures down 50 cents. SP Futures down 21, but that's that's somewhat of a turn. We were we're down pretty heavy yesterday, almost 30 points. The spoos came back. We were up eight. Uh, as the day wore on, uh, CPI numbers are tomorrow. That's the big number of the week. And then Thursday, right behind them, are the PPI, which aren't as uh, usually as upsetting or unupsetting to the market, but they're right, right after them. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 70.4%, FTSE up 22.3%. Kick around, though, up 66.9%. So we've got a pretty good rally in the kick around. Over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei, uh, they're open, back open. They're two, up 289 to 1%. Uh, Hang Seng. They're back open as well, up 154.8%. Shanghai down a buck, call that, call that flat. So they've been kind of going different directions. The Shanghai, even the Shanghai and the Hang Seng the last few days. Uh, yesterday, like I said, we closed the Dow, closed up 101 after being down most of the day. S&P up 4 after being down, like I said, 30. NASDAQ actually was down 360. So a very slow, uh, very, well, sort of mixed day. Bonds were at uh, 3.42 unchanged. The Bund... Up nine basis points, 2.27. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.46, so not much going on there before the numbers either. Uh, oil down a dime under 80 bucks, 79.64. Rent down 17 cents, 84.01. Natural gas up five cents, 2.22. So it was under two for uh, the hair. Now we're back up over two. Our Bob unchanged at 2.80. We've got gold up 12.60, uh, 2016. So it's hanging over 2,000 now uh, for a few days. Silver up 19 cents, 25.11. Copper up 3 cents, 4.01. Uh, we've got crypto up 9. Wow, 30,000 Bitcoin, 30,121. Not sure I understand that one, but they're not asking me. Uh, dollar, well, here's one of the reasons. A dollar is down again. Uh, the euro is over 109, 109.1, and the pound is 1.24. So the dollar is sinking down. We'll talk about that quite a bit when hell's on today because I talked to some people overseas, and they're not happy with that. Uh, Matty, we got for us, Trevi Weather Sports. 
37 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're off to a pretty good start here on a Tuesday morning. We do have some traffic building up on the inbound Kennedy due to the ongoing road construction. But no accidents to report. uh, Edens looks good, as does the Eisenhower. Traffic building steadily, but no crashes or or significant delays. Same for the Stevenson. Southside expressways are all quiet. Only crash in the area is out in the western suburbs. uh, Carroll Stream, St. Charles Road at Main Street. There's an accident. Everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, another beautiful mid-April day. Sunshine, a high of 74. Right now it's crystal clear and 53 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, uh, the heat is starting down in the Valley of the Sun, Chief. Sunny with a high of 98 today. Right now it's clear and 68. In sports, White Sox beat the Twins 4-3 up in the Twin Cities. Sox are now 5-6 on the season. Tim Anderson left the game after a knee collision. He uh, was being evaluated and is currently listed as day-to-day. No uh, uh, word on whether he'll be put on the the injured uh, reserve uh, or not. Cubs beat the Mariners 3-2 in 10 innings. Cubs are now 5-4. Diamondbacks shut out the Brewers 3-0. In hockey, Blackhawks lost to the Wild 4-2, and the Coyotes lost to the Kraken 4-1. Chief. Um, do we have uh, Mr. Joel? We do. Give me one second right. here. The uh, we have him now. Joel. Joel, you're on mute. If you can unmute, we got you. Ah, uh, the old mute trick. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Maddie. How you guys doing We're today? Doing all right. Plus, uh, when are you coming into the office? I got something I, I need to do to you. <laughs> uh oh. What I do? Nothing. Nothing. I just you know I'm just going to be one of the. I'm going to become a juice jacker. A juice jacker. Okay, fill see, me in. See, now you guys, Maddie used to be young enough to know this stuff. I definitely don't know what that is. Uh, now the FBI is warning. I would never have guessed this. The FBI is warning against using public phone charging stations. I never, I never thought that. FBI is warning consumers about juice jacking, where bad actors use public chargers to infect phones and devices with malware. How the hell do you infect the phone through the power outlet. Boy, to show you how little I know about The law enforcement agency says consumers should avoid using public chargers at malls and airports and stick to their own USB cables and charging plugs. Evidently, you can infect the phone through the power outlet. Wait, that you... I would not have... Would you guys have any idea we could do that? Or somebody could do that? In this day and age, Chief, I believe just about anything. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> that is that is the truth. So how are you? Uh your uh, your your tigers not so good. Oh my love! Oh, but I I I tell you, I can't even name. I I don't know even how many players I can name on that team. They're just abysmal. They got a a new general manager. They're supposed to shake things up. I mean, the Motor City Kitties have just absolutely fallen off the map. I mean, not only are they losing, they're losing big. I mean, like by multiple runs. So. Um, I don't know, Chief. I mean, baseball fan, I guess uh, 84 was uh, a great time. We made all those runs and, uh, you know, made it to the World Series in the early 2000s. But it's just been a long time. I wish I wish the Illages would sell the team. I wrote a big article about when Mike Illage died 2017 that they should do that. And they didn't. They hung on to the general manager. It's just... Uh, just it's just tough. It's tough being a Tigers fan. I still got the gear, but definitely don't have any new shirts to sport with uh, with anything good on them. And I, I I heard what the uh, the White Sox are doing. How are the Cubbies doing this? Cubs year? are actually they, they actually have a four. real team. It's early. Yeah, they uh, they spent some money in the off season, and um, 
they they get their their star right fielder back in a couple weeks. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're five and four. They're, they've been entertaining. They've led in every game except one. So we'll wow. see if they can sustain this or not. But certainly the best start that they've had in the last three years. One thing yeah, we'll, was, we'll still ride in Miggy's contract. You know, <laughs> I mean that was a big contract, and uh, they paid that several years ago. And uh, you know, maybe once you know they get rid of that, um, you know, they'll be able to do something. Uh, the, the other thing too is like they 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 sold the farm right for all these. Uh, you know, when they they broke up the team, they got absolutely nothing in return. And then they haven't done anything in the draft. So you put those, add all those up together, and you have an abysmal team. Well, the Cubs uh, right now, if you if you like watching, you know, especially now with the pitch clock and people are putting the ball in play more, I'll say this for the Cubs, and I don't like to give them any kind of, I'm not big on the owner, but I don't think in my lifetime I've seen a team, a Cub team, with better defense up the middle. They, they, they could have three gold glovers in the middle. I mean, they, oh, they've Horton. really revamped that. Yeah, I mean, they, they are. Spe- I don't know. I hope the kid in center field can come back and hit because he sure as hell can play center field. Uh, Bellinger? Is that his name? Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to sh- tune in. And the shortstop is spectacular. WGN. We get that. We get but I'm that a big, I've been a Nico Horner fan since day one when they brought him up from. And you put him at second. He was yeah. good at shortstop. You put him at second, and you're, you're so much better. And the catcher's pretty good, too. Yeah, I mean they got a couple veteran guys that are that are just guys, but they're good defensive. But they're yeah, they're defensive guys. Uh, I uh, I was uh, went last night to dinner with uh, uh, Stephanie. We used to be on the show and, uh, until she became a mom. Um, we went to uh, Mart Anthony's, a great place, but it's one of the spots, Joel, that uh, always they and uh, Tofano's over here have been one of the hotbeds of people going to dinner before the Hawk games forever, right? And uh, I, I don't. Is is there a difference? There's an incredible difference in Hawk and Bull fans here in Chicago, and that I'm going to say I won't say all, but it's always been tradition where the Hawk fans go out to dinner at the restaurants before the game and hustle over. So all the restaurants, you know, get them out of there fast, and the Bulls crowd never does that. They just go to the game. I mean, I, I don't know what the difference is in the demographics, but there's quite a bit of difference. I'm going to say last night they had one table for the Hawks. The Hawks got to be the worst team in, in all professional sports. Are they're horrific. Close. They're horrific, and they had one table. The team with guy and his wife, and the, and the three kids with the uh, all the different hawk jerseys on and stuff. That was it. The place we walk in, <laughs> they go, "Are you going to the game?" No, no, we're not. How would you like to be stuck with those season tickets? Oh man, it's uh, well, Bill <laughs> you Murphy paid top dollar. You know, a few years ago when they had their big run, and now you're dealing with this. Well, Bill Murphy's uh, son-in-laws are huge hockey fans. They both have either four or eight seats, really good ones, because you know they got some scratch, and uh. They have a mental game this year. They just give away to people at their business. Yeah. They have a mental game. They have no interest. They still go crazy during the national anthem there? Ah, to the, the people that are there do, yeah. But it's, you know. Actually, you know, they, they still are enough of a, of a, the ticket is enough of a, of a nice ticket where if, if you give them to people and their kids, especially as now kids are really into hockey, a lot of kids are, the suburban kids are anyway, uh, the, the, you, you can still I think you can still give the Hawk tickets away. I don't know, you know, last year you probably couldn't give the Cub tickets away. But I think the Hawk Hawk tickets, it's still a night out. Anyway, so, so Joe, we're waiting for the numbers tomorrow and Thursday. What uh, what do you see in here? Uh, I mean, just uh, a little bit of a trading range. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the rally is holding in there so far. Um, the uh, the S and P's got just developed some real good support at forty one forty one hundred, which uh, over the last three sessions we got through the jobs number, 
We got the CPI coming up, and then we got bank earnings on Friday. Whole host of earnings, uh, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, um, BlackRock, uh, PNC. So I don't know. I mean, everyone, everyone's been waiting for the next, you know, the next shoot, you know, shoot to drop, and it hasn't happened. Uh, you know, looming uh, problem, not problems, but tensions over. Uh, China, Taiwan don't seem to derail the market. It's just uh, everyone is uh, assuming the Fed is gonna is gonna back off here, and um, I'm not so convinced. I'm not so convinced of that. And I mean, I wanna I wanna be bullish, but man, you just gotta see how the reactions of these Q1 earnings because a lot of these stocks have had some incredible rallies, and if they either disappoint or guide lower, I think there's a lot of downside in the market. Are you concerned but, at all with the uh, the the narrowness in the market? That you know, we can complain about that all we want, and you know, tech. You know, tech seems to win no matter what, Chief. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's a safety trade, you know, because uh, you know if rates are higher because they don't have any debt and they produce cash, and then you know if the Fed cuts, then you know that's good too for those stocks. So it seems to be this mega cap tech is just is just you know win win. It's you know pulled off. It's had some nice runs. Microsoft, Apple, even Google's uh, stuck its head above uh, the hundred buck line. I might need one of you, Joe. Uh, well, thank you very much, buddy. And uh, yeah, okay. I, I, I definitely agree on that. But they're also the ones that were down huge last year. So yep. Okay. Take All care right. of yourself. I'll bud. let you guys go and uh, go blue. Were those dulcet tones, Kenny Pulcari? Kenny, how are you, buddy? I apologize. I didn't realize I was lying with you when I said that. I apologize. Well, that's uh, that's all right. You know, it's a uh, um, you didn't say you didn't say anything bad. You know, like people used to do the uh, the bloopers. <laughs> no, but I'm out here on the streets of uh, New York City, right down by the across from the New York Stock Exchange. Good for I'm you. I'm actually taking. Uh, um, I have an event there this morning. I'm taking. Uh, Actually, above uh, the Saint Saint Lawrence University hockey team to uh, to the New York Stock Exchange this morning. Going wow, that should be fun. All about the capital markets. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I was with them last night, had dinner, and then today they're going to have this uh, this experience at the New York Stock Exchange. Well, I'll tell you what. If I uh, next time I get out, if anybody goes with me, I'm going to have to find a way to get. Even today, it's still quite a quite a spot. I mean, it I, is quite a spot, and you know, you, we've talked about this. What you can't go in, not you just can't walk in off the streets anymore. Uh, you know, post nine eleven, you have to uh, have some kind of a connection, either a listed company connection or or someone that works at the exchange or a broker that you know worked on work works or worked on the exchange, which I did. So uh, it still allows me the opportunity. To well, you know, take advantage of it. You know, was ever was there ever any in a, an official uh, visitors gallery, or you just had to go in? Yeah, no, no, there was no, there was a gallery. You could, when you could go in, you couldn't just walk on the floor. You had to go up to the visitor gallery, which was. Uh, just on the mezzanine level, and it looked out over the main trading floor. Uh, and it used to be open air until the Vietnam War when uh, somebody walked into the building with a backpack and threatened to blow the place up. So then they put up all this big bulletproof glass all yeah. around it, and they, and they um, you know, you could still go up there, but it was all behind bulletproof glass. But they took that all down after 9-11. They don't let anybody in the building now. Which is really, uh, I mean, it's, just, it's at one point, the Chicago Board of Trade Visitors Gallery was the second... Uh, biggest tourist attraction in Chicago after Buckingham Fountain. Yeah, and I'm sure that the New York Stock Exchange always was too. There used to be lines of people just waiting to get in, but, you know, what you see today is you just see people all around the building taking pictures of the front door, the side door, the Broad Street side, the, the columns, you know, because that's all they can do now. Can't go in. Well, you know, I, I really have to believe 
as long as I mean it's been a long time after nine eleven. We've got to get back to doing some of this normal stuff. I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I don't know how you how you started. Well, you know, it's I well, you know, what, the, the whole issue about the exchange is what does it represent? It represents everything that America stands for, like freedom and entrepreneurship and capitalism. And so, when you think of other parts around the world that hate us, that would be one of the that would be one of the venues that they'd want to that they'd want to destroy, right? They almost did it on nine eleven, uh, and so they they won't run the risk. I don't. Think. Just well, but it's risking. you know you know what's sort of interesting about the uh, 9-11... Oh, no, ain't nobody tell you look like Dosecki's guy, bro. The, Say uh, it again. I said one thing interesting about the nine eleven <laughs> is everybody who thought they were somebody assumed they were a target. <laughs> right. I mean, the CBOE, God, you guys don't have bumpers in the street where somebody couldn't drive a car through here. Okay, but yeah. I mean, the Federal, right. Federal Reserve here spent millions of dollars hardening the building, yet across the street you could shoot anybody you wanted. I mean, it's like, it was kind of the weirdest... What do you make of the yeah. the number tomorrow? I, or, uh, I'm I'm hoping against it. So hopefully you will say that I'm wrong here. I think we're going to get another inflation push because of the money they threw in a few weeks ago for the bank stuff. Well, I think it's going to be interesting. Is that the top line rate is supposed to be up two tenths? But if you take the core rate, which is you know you take you take really what's important to people, that's actually supposed to be up four tenths, which is going to be you know up over the over the top line rate. It'll still be lower than last month's, but my guess is I'm with you. I think there's going to be a push higher. I think it's going to come in, a, you know, five-tenths of a percent uh, versus four, and I think that's going to that's going to rattle the markets a little bit. Um, but I do think that the PPI number on Thursday, which is the producer price index number, that one's going to come out softer. And remember, the producer prices is, is what uh, makes its way down to consumer prices. So if you start to see a real decline in producer prices, then it should follow in consumer prices like four to six weeks later, so, you know, we may see the May or the June CPI number is where it might start to come down. Although, oil spiked higher after the Saudis decided they were cutting production. So that's going to add uh, to the CPI inflationary pressure. So it's going to be very interesting over the next couple of months to see, to see what happens. And I think that's going to keep the Fed uh, in a defensive position, right? Anyone who thinks that we're getting rate cuts uh, in the fall, you know, three rate cuts, not even one, but three rate cuts, I think they're... I think they're barking up the wrong tree completely. I don't see how that could happen at all. Uh, if anything, I think the Fed um, raises and then pauses and then holds it there. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, but I, I also think that the, the Fed is, I don't know what their story is. They threw $400 billion in in two weeks a month ago, and it's the save, the save well, a bank that should have been, uh, should they, never they, been allowed to be where they were in the first place. Right. A bank that, a bank that all the venture capitalists, you know, created all this chaos uh, on themselves, and it was their bank, by the way. So they created the chaos in their own bank and created uh, all that crisis that caused the Fed and the Treasury and everyone else to come running to the rescue. But I agree with you. I was, they should uh, have been, uh, in retrospect, they should have been allowed to fail. I was actually regaling <laughs> a couple people last night, and I shouldn't have because I think they have ties to the Fed. Uh, again, Kenny, is it is it every level of our society that people don't do their job? How, how does somebody? I mean, we're talking about a bank without going into this hugely, which Kenny and I probably should do maybe next week. What is the scuttlebutt? What is the connection between this bank, which is supposedly just a bank, yet they seem to have raised capital for people without being an, uh, an investment bank somehow? And what, how the hell did they require people to keep like $50 million into a bank? I mean, we don't I mean PTI. We don't, we don't do this, but if I went out and raised money for you, right. 
Yep. Why would I care if you kept $50 million in a lakeside bank? Why can't you pick your own Be- bank? Because it was their bank. That was the whole, that, as, the, as the story unfolds, what you realize is that all the venture capitalists, you know, start with Peter Thiel, start with David Sack, start with all the big guys who, by the way, were the ones that brought it down. It was their bank. They raised the money for these startups. And then they said to the startup, okay, we're going to give you $50 million, but you have to deposit it in Silicon Valley Bank. And then Silicon Valley Bank went and gave those guys mortgages and went and gave them car loans and went and, and, and loaned the money against their insider stock. It was all very calculated, right? And all those uh, venture capitalists forced all those startups to deposit the money into that bank. But that was the first warning flag, which which the Fed failed to see. The San right. Francisco Fed and Mary Daly completely failed to see it. And and while while they said, well, they were warned in October that their bond portfolio wasn't right, they needed to clean up the act. Guess what? They warned them in October, yeah. and then no one said anything else. Well, Kenny, what was it's the connection? Ridiculous. What was the connection to Roku? Why did Roku have like fifty million dollars there? It had been around forever. Why? What was the tie into those well, guys? Well, I think the tie-in was just a relationship because once you establish the relationship at the bank, and then the bank you owe money to the bank, the bank loans you money to buy a you know a twenty million dollar mansion, the bank loans you money against your stock, and so therefore they 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 then embedded the, all these people into that bank, and so it was very very incestuous. And you're right, why were they all forced to go to that bank? Well, they all they all played a key role in that bank is what you'll is what you'll find out, which is also very interesting because I wonder, and this has yet to come out, is. Who benefited by the collapse in that bank when Peter Thiel and Davy Sachs and all of them started raising the, you know, raising the flag and causing all kinds of concern? Who benefited from the collapse in that stock? And I think that's still yet to be uh, determined, right? I think they're going to they're going to look at that. And who was betting against it? Did anyone? Well, did anyone why, have why would you? The benefit. This is going to be this be somewhat harsh, Kenny. But I mean, you're you know, you're not what? as conspiratorial as me. But why would you expect the San Francisco Fed? To, to now all of a sudden do the right investigation when everyone just screwed up from the start. Well, I think I think that investigation is going to come from the SEC. That part of the investigation, when you talk about who is positioned in the stock, that's an SEC issue, not a San Francisco Fed issue, right? So that's going to be a whole different. That's going to be regulatory and and uh, and and the SEC. That's who's going to investigate that. The San Francisco Fed failed at just regulation of the bank in general and allowing them to have that. Uh, the the bond portfolio that didn't match their clientele, right? They had a clientele that was very money friendly, right? They always needed their cash, and times got tough over the last year. The tech industry was going through a tough time. These guys were taking money out, not putting money in, and so this long bo- portfolio, that this long bond portfolio they have, did not match, uh, did not match the clientele, which is what caused them the breakdown, right? But even if a regular bank probably has. I'll say ten percent liquidity at most, maybe fifteen. But even if those guys had twenty or twenty-five, it wasn't enough for twenty-five percent in an hour and a half. I mean, it still was. Yeah, a, no, I, I, no, I hear you, and I and I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be part of what continues to come out, right? In terms of why this even happened, how it happened, who failed. Uh, Mary Daly, notice you haven't heard one word from Mary Daly since this whole thing happened because no. she's the head of the San Francisco Fed. She was the head. She, she was the one that was responsible for regulating that bank, and suddenly she goes dark. You don't hear a word from her. Well, did the lady who was the the uh, uh, risk manager at the bank did she work for Daly she, in the San Francisco Fed? She must have. Yeah, well, yeah, but she don't forget they didn't have a risk officer for eight or nine months. That person quit. The person they had was in London. I thought the, and, I thought the blonde was, the blonde lady was the one that now has been scrubbed from the site. Well, the, yes, but she was scrubbed from the site because she actually left that job. They were without a chief financial officer for seven or eight months. That person had left. 
Well, I'm talking now, about the, I don't know, unless, unless we're talking right. about a different person. I'm talking about the lady there. who was the who got the humanities degree from Stanford. That was a risk off. She wasn't a CFO. She was something else. She, she was. She might have been the CFO, but they, then there was a CRO, right? The chief risk. Yeah, officer that's, that's what I'm talking about. The lady with the humanities degree. Yeah, I thought she had left the. I, I understood it that she had left that job seven. Oh, or maybe, maybe she did. Ago. Maybe she. Yeah, did. yeah, and so that that was part of the problem is that they didn't have a chief risk officer at the time. Well, so <laughs> unbelievable, Kenny. Good luck out there with all that stuff. We it sounds like a lot of fun. When are you gonna invite me? Uh, you can come whenever you want. I'm happy to fly up from Florida and come and bring you on the New York Stock Exchange because I love to do it. I think it's a place that everybody should see because it's so much a part of American history and, and, and America itself. It's like woven into the flag of the country. I think it's a beautiful place. What is the, uh, just a quick question, what, what is the Amex now? Just nothing? An empty building? Or do you just got offices over there or what? No, the Amex doesn't exist anymore. After 9-11, the Amex building got destroyed. The New York Stock Exchange actually bought the Amex. I know that, but uh, I'm saying the, the, build, Amex, the building is no more. No. No, the building is no more. I actually think, I don't know if they had to knock that building down because it was damaged or if they're renovating it. I should take a walk over there because it's just on the other side of Trinity Church. But uh, th- there's nothing in the Amex building now. Uh, okay. You know, the Amex is over here. Yeah, you got to trip over to the headstones to get over there. It's just right down the block. Right? <laughs> yes, it's just behind Trinity Church. God. Kenny, take care of yourself. SP Futures down 75 cents. NASDAQ Futures down 19. Be right back. Uh, Professor Hell Snar. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
but I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Hello, Rump Bank Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Allen, man. We're going to board SP Futures down one. SP Futures down 20. We were up earlier and we're just kind of wobbling the last, well, day and morning now uh, ahead of the CPI numbers tomorrow, which uh, I think the estimates are all over the place. Uh, we'll see how that goes. We have a gas prices, gas prices have run up in the last couple of weeks, uh, but I don't know. I think Maddie and Hal, I, I think the, the, a lot of these numbers are picked up the third week of the month, which would have been before they ran up, so I don't know what... I know they're up from 364 to 399 in, the, in one week out in Orland when I got them, so I don't I don't think that last week would be in these numbers, would it, Hal? I'm just, hey, Hal, how are you? Good morning, how are you doing? All right, we're, we're going through numbers here. Since you are the professor, you're the expert on all this stuff, even though you may not know it yet, you are. Uh, <laughs> you're like the professor in Gilligan's Island, you know. Um <laughs> <laughs> did, did he have his pick of Ginger and Marianne, or he, he just stayed away from both and not wanted to cause trouble? Um, I think I would have uh, preferred Marianne. I oh, like me, her oh, banana me, cream pies. Oh, me too. She was uh, her coconut cream pies too. The uh, <laughs> God, the uh, that entire show was filmed in a soundstage. I toured the soundstage Universal Studios years ago. It was interesting. Yeah, you know the funny thing is, when I was a kid, I watched the uh, reunion movie on TV, and I thought at the time. Boy, that show is really old because this reunion movie is about ten years after the show ended. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But uh, we have but the numbers that come in tomorrow. Is there anything special about the way they? It seems like in the middle of the month we had the bank issue and the Fed, you know, pour all that money in, uh, and you saw, you know, some stuff I think start to percolate back up again. But. Uh, is there any, is there any timing? I know I know Carl's always talking about the labor phone calls usually go out the third week of the month. Isn't that what he says, man? He's the third week, and uh, so it's 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 kind of week specific. Now, is the CPI like that too? You think or no? Well, they have to survey um, thirty metro areas, and they go to um, different outlets. So, I think it's probably a. Uh, um, I had a student that applied for an internship with the BLS, and um, I think they just kind of gathered data in probably a two, three-week period and then kind of cobbled it together. Um, okay. And then they adjust, they, they adjust the quantities. They used to adjust them on a longer interval, but I think they do probably uh, a two-year interval on the quantities. So 
they're trying to minimize the the substitution bias. I mean, if prices go up, at if prices generally rise, people will switch from um, like Macy's to Walmart, for example, right? And then um, if beef prices go up, people immediately may switch to chicken. So I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to shorten those time intervals uh, to capture some of that, to account for some of that substitution bias. So it's a pretty uh, complicated calculation. Well, and then when you throw in the yeah. housing... When you, when you throw in the housing component, it becomes quite subjective. I'm just glad we finally got our house rented in Salt Lake, man. It's been tough. Wow. I put about I put twenty thousand dollars into renovations. My brother Rob installed a luxury vinyl plank on all three levels, um, on the stairs, everything. And I spent about twenty thousand dollars putting that in. And I finally got that place rented, so we we did a little celebrating this week and we went to Boston for two days. So is the person that you rent it to, are they going to, like, pay the rent and stuff? Oh, I think so. <laughs> um, the uh, I think they're uh, an educated um, um, couple from the Middle East, I think, and they have a family of four, and I think they're professionals. So I think I have a pretty good property manager. I'm paying uh, – I, I have the home warranty from American um, Home Shield, and so if anything goes – uh, wrong with apartment, like an appliance goes out or the HVAC um, turns off for whatever reason. Um, I got this home warranty, which is not too bad. So the, I think the the tenant's going to be very happy with the, the level of service they're going to get, and hopefully they'll make their payments on time. <laughs> the operative word there being hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> well, the the apartment showed beautifully. My, we we picked this really incredibly looking. Um, like reclaimed look, luxury vinyl plank it looks just awesome, and then the uh, the dark blue gray walls that my brother Rod painted as future walls look really awesome against it. So it just showed really well. Cool. And uh, um, it I mean it looks like a brand new unit. Um, all the damage the kids did to it is gone. Got it. <laughs> the triplets. Well, if you were if you're in in town and you had a a few hours to hang some night. I'm not that we hang that long. Uh, a couple of my buddies are in, and all their and all their pals are all in this uh, uh, distressed mortgage kind of business where they get all these mortgages and they manage the place or the mortgages for people, and they have to be aware of the rule. Every state has different rules. Oh yeah. And New York is by far the worst for. Uh, yeah, it is. The, yeah, the, it, it's you know, bad. and uh, he says <laughs> some some of the lines are great. They have one guy or one house. They finally got got the uh, the okay to foreclose on it. Guess how long? You and Maddie. Probably uh, maybe five months. I don't know. Maddie? A year. <clears throat> Twelve years. Jeez. Wow. Holy shnikes. Uh, six people on the deed. Okay, and they they never paid a they never they never even sent in the first check. How is that possible? Because. One person declares bankruptcy, so you got two years while it's in bankruptcy, and as soon as you come out of that guy comes out of bankruptcy, the next person declares bankruptcy. There's six people, wow. twelve years. And then so after, this was the rental property? No, this is a place they bought. Really, six people? Yeah, six people on a deed, wow. on a mortgage, and all six yeah. sequentially filed bankruptcy. So it was twelve years before they could. You can, I can't imagine what the place looks like after twelve years of no maintenance. I mean, uh, well, were, were they living in it? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh wow. 
Yeah, I don't even know how people think about that kind of thing. I, you know I wouldn't what? even. People are. You know the crazy part is, the uh, if you if you and I buy all these mortgages like distressed or otherwise, if somebody stops paying, we have to keep paying the taxes because yeah, the, the tax lien gets ahead of the of the bank lien, so that they can get they can get thrown out of there for taxes, and you're just bleep out of luck if you're the the bank and somebody can buy them for uh, taxes. Bef- they, the, the, the the county gets ahead of the the bank, wow. so you have to pay the taxes so the county doesn't get ahead of you. It, it's your play. It's the the best line was with COVID. Uh, somebody calls my buddy and he goes, "Hey, I hear I hear uh, I get another six months because of the what did um, Biden came out with the six months? You don't have to you can't kick somebody out for six months on mortgages or whatever, or the four months, whatever it was. This was like two years ago. The guy goes, "I get another six months." He says to him. What do you care? You haven't, you haven't sent a check in in four years. <laughs> people, people work. They work this stuff. I, I, yeah. I can't even imagine doing that. But I can't imagine because think about the damage you do to the person you're running from. Think about. I mean, it, it just. I, I mean, well, these are all these I, are all I, mortgages. I, these are these are yeah. banks. These aren't these aren't rentals. These are mortgages. I know, but think about the damage you're doing to that banker or the bank i mean i mean they're evil right well, um, banks are all evil but, they all got they all got money yeah. it's all it's all a game what do you what do you care yeah. well a, i had an issue with the hoa uh monday um i told my property manager make sure you you know contact the hoa and let them know that we had a tenant in there and i thought he had contacted the hoa back in october when i hired him and he thought i had contacted him we get an email from the hoa saying this lease isn't approved and there's a wait list and there's a cap on number of leases that can be made in the complex because it's the townhouse and I just I was sick because we just signed this guy to a 12 month lease and I just felt man are we going to ask this guy to move out he did nothing wrong so I felt sick about the property manager I felt sick about the family that just moved in fortunately our HOA is awesome they found uh, a way to grandfather me in uh, because we had bought our unit in 2014 and the the uh, lease cap um, was at nine. It was imposed in 2016, so I got grandfathered in. So fortunately, um, you know, we didn't have to ask the tenant to move out. And I mean, I was sick that whole night. I, I couldn't sleep because I thought, man, what did I do? I mean, I thought I really messed up. And you messed everybody up. Everything worked out. No, I know. I was sick about it. So I don't know how people can live with themselves like that. You know, purposely, you know, declaring people, bankruptcy people one it. after the other over six. Period. People it's love just, that it, stuff. I mean, look at yeah. Was it was it Trump's dad was a was a master of getting people out of rent control, Billy, by making the place unlivable? Was it his dad or somebody did it? I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think that happens a lot in New York City. I think the way you win in this game, though, especially in a place like New York, my brother-in-law does a really good job with this bridge. Um, what he does is he keeps his his uh, flats looking really nice and does the maintenance on them. So he's always attracting a professional who will, cares about their credit. Uh, and will want to keep that place and uh, pay on time. If you take all the profits out and you you splurge on a on a customized Lamborghini, you go to Bahamas every every month. Your property is going to deteriorate, and you're only going to be able to rent to people who don't care about credit. So, so did, I think did, that's how you do it in New York City. Well, how did you know that Matt Weber was looking for a Lamborghini this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember watching this show called Flipping Vegas. And I always bring this up to my students. If you're an entrepreneur and you're a successful business person, the last thing you want to do is drive around neighborhoods looking for distressed properties at auctions in a customized design Lamborghini because everybody's going, all right, what is that guy doing? I need to do what he's doing, right? 
you signaled everybody that you have above uh, normal, way above normal uh, margins in your industry, and it just attracts competition. So you have to do the Warren Buffett thing. Well, Maddie, driving around in a little pickup uh, truck. What are you, Maddie? Six four? How do you even fit? Do you even fit in a Lamborghini? I've never tried. I, I imagine it would be tight. Those things are small. They are. I mean, they come up to. We were at the auto show when I was in the Economic Club of Chicago, and they had all the. Uh, what, what's the one from Canada? The, the, uh, not the Lamborghini. The one, with the Thompson, not the Thompson. Uh, I don't know. There's a there's a McLaren. A McLaren is from. Uh, and all these things come up to like your waist. Well, Audrey got in one because she's still pretty limber. I didn't even try. And uh, she gets in the thing, and I had to yank her out by the hand. And, uh, and uh, I go, she goes, she goes, I felt like my butt was like an inch off the ground. <laughs> the thing is so... Oh, I had, a, I had an RX-7 in my 20s, and I would do 80 miles an hour on those 25-mile-an-hour switchbacks in Idaho in that car because it, it handled like it was on rails, and I felt like my rear end was like literally eight inches off the ground, off the asphalt. It was you, that low. You could never do Chicago streets in that, boy. You get a bump, and get you, it hits you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took a bump in Michigan on a job... My my Navy buddy and I went to Michigan for uh, a job search, right? We were out of the Navy, and we decided to check out this company a friend got a job at as a maintenance technician. And we hit a Michigan pothole in my RX-7 at 35 miles an hour. Oh, ouch. It took out the bearing. And we didn't really know it, and we didn't really have any money. We drove from that company all the way down to North Carolina on a bad wheel bearing. Oh, God. And it was so bad that when I jacked it up at the hotel in North Carolina – I could pull the wheel and the axle. I could peel the wheel with the axle attached to it <laughs> out of the differential. That's how bad it was. God. And you made it down there somehow. Yeah, we made it down there, man. If we would have hit a corner at 80, that axle would have flew out. <laughs> the wheel would have been in the, the cornfield, and you'd have been somewhere else. <laughs> but my, my buddy Sean, uh, I didn't have any money, and he just got the Navy, and he had some savings. So he put the uh, the bill on his credit card, so I owe him big time because I had no money at the time. I've been out for six months going to college. <laughs> oh, hey, well, now that we've uh, we've covered all the problems in the world, I, I had an interesting conversation last week with a potential client, and uh, I, uh, as soon as I was done, I said, Hal doesn't know it, but he's in for it next Tuesday. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. I, uh, I'm just – when we talk, we talk about the inflation numbers, and it, it – it, it really comes down, and I know I, I say this all the time, and I don't think I ever get through to anybody. Uh, when you talk about inflation, it really comes out. It really is the su- the supply and the and the status of the the dollar. If all of a sudden the prices of everything go up ten percent, they didn't go up ten percent. The the value of your dollar went down ten percent. I mean, am I right? Yeah, or I agree with that. I, mean, you know, I agree with that. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, the dollar becomes worth less and less and less until it becomes worthless. And, but that's not the way we count it. We count it the other way. Yeah. We said that the other stuff goes up. Well, this this gentleman I talked to has uh, hard, some hard assets in various parts of the world, and many and he gets around. Let's put it that way. And uh, and he was saying about a lot of the the dis, you know here, you know Lou and other people on the show uh, talking about how uh, you know America is falling into dis disfavor with a lot of people and, and people, you know, blame Biden he's not tough enough and this and all this other kind of stuff or they blame blame uh, we're not doing this right or our guys are cheating and grabbing money, you know, the Hunter Bidens of the world. Uh, and this guy basically is a more of a money focused dude. He's almost 70-ish and he's a he doesn't know it Hal, but he's a closet monetarist. I accused him of that actually. Uh, he says, you know 
people here don't necessarily realize that the that the the horde of the the, the hunk of value in this world and for the ever since the World War II has been the U.S. dollar. That even even in Russia, people who were concerned about their wealth by hook or crook will get their hands on fifteen or twenty. This goes back forty years. Uh, hook or crook will get themselves on twenty or thirty or forty U.S. hundred dollar bills, and and that's their that's their savings. It's not in a Russian bank. It's it's you know that it it is it is the storehouse of value, like everywhere. And if all of a sudden, I won't accuse the young people, but I guess I will. We don't care about no stinking hundos anymore, no cash. And all of a sudden, the, the government doesn't seem to care over a three-year span if that hundred dollars is now worth sixty-five. A lot of people do care, and it's a, and this guy's point is a lot of what the disrespect for America right now is how they think we are intentionally screwing them out of their wealth, which is in U.S. dollars. And it's, it was an interesting conversation. I. I wish you'd have been with me, but I, I pretty much gave you the Cliff Notes version. Now, what if that was the, the what I were to say, this is what your class was going to be about, what would you say for the next 40 minutes? Well, I'd probably agree with them because Ludwig von Mises said that uh, um, there's a competition amongst currencies. And I think at the time he was talking about, like, gold and iron coin from um, China. There's a, you know... Uh, a money will emerge, and one by one, in a market system, one by one, the best currency will become the currency that everybody wants. It'll become the dollar. It'll become the currency of an economy, right? So there's a competition. And I think what we have in world currencies is no matter what these central planners want to do, there's the market system underlying it. And... I always say I think the dollar is the least worst government currency. And if it's the least worst government currency, then it's probably going to win that tournament of currencies. And I just posted something earlier today that, um, you know, the Fed can do a lot of damage to it. But I think what's happened is other central banks are doing more damage to their currency. So ours is like the less worse, the lesser of two evils, right? Well, I would agree with uh, that. Oh, I, I would agree with that for sure. But I, yeah. I also would would agree that if if I'm the Chinese or somebody, not that I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Chinese, but if I'm those people, I'm I'm looking for an alternate. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised, really, that even though the thing, to my mind, is worthless, a, a no. Bitcoin sort of thing, if it actually was, if you could find one backed by something. Might not carry the day. I mean, I'm I'm really surprised. Hell, just moving you over into sociology a little bit. I mean, I have a a lot of you know a lot of clients that are that are well. I have clients that have parents and they're up there. And a lot a lot of those people, I mean, didn't weren't in the markets at all the last three or four years, and actually were in a bank or a money market or something because the people are 85, 90 years old. They just want why why aren't why don't they why hasn't the, the, the bulb gone off in their head? Not that they're dumb, they're sure not. Why don't they realize that they've just been fleeced for 35% of their wealth? I, I think it goes back to the, the this concept of, well, you know, my life isn't too bad. It's not getting going to get much worse. and um, my, my family's happy. I'm doing okay. 
I, I think it, we haven't reached that threshold where people demand change. But they get carjacked every month for the rest of their life, and it's not as much money out of their hide as the government just took. Oh, I know, yeah. Um, but here, here's the. I think this is what that guy's getting at. If we're running budget surplus, or if we're if countries we're trading with have trade surpluses with the U.S., can they really de-dollarize without punishing their people? I don't know if they can. I mean, China's got what a three hundred billion dollar trade surplus with the U.S. They have all these extra dollars. What are they going to do with those dollars? Well, I, I, I they got to hold them. They got to they got to use them to buy something with, well, right? The, what are well, they going to buy? What are they going to buy with those things? Well, the COVID thing was was sort of different in that uh, every single com- company that has any kind of currency worth a squat did the exact same thing. So it was it was a coordinated devaluation of essentially all world currencies. Yeah. Which we and that's why this last episode with this bank where the, where the Fed reversed course on the balance sheet going down. They reversed course on two thirds of a year's work in two weeks to save that the well, I won't say to save the I bank. know, yeah. But the, so the the rest of the world's thinking, wait a minute, that wasn't coordinated. That was like just those guys. And that's yeah. why I think you're hearing more bitching and moaning over the last six weeks than you did over the last three years. Well I think it goes back to the uh why cartels you can think of these central banks as a cartel. They're working together. They're uh devaluing their currencies and they try to do it in a way where they can print enough money to cover their budget deficits but at the same time not have inflation get out of hand in one of the countries relative to the other country so it's, it's kind of a, a game theory um, model that's going that's being played out in front of us and maybe the Fed just uh, cheated on its cartelling agreement and uh, prevented those banks those bank runs by printing a bunch of money right well, it's a I mean, if course. but if you are if you are if you're the treasurer of uh, Webby Inc. and all of a sudden you, you've got hundred million dollars someplace in dollars, and, and you, maybe you thought you should move it into pounds or euros, and all of a sudden it's four weeks later and you're essentially down hundred million, thirty million bucks. No, it would yeah. be a, now you'd be three million bucks because you didn't move it fast enough. You're not happy. That's a oh, lot. No, of, you're not. That's yeah. a lot of dough. And, and, and well, I think that's. I think that's why Macron was over in China. I don't think he's very happy with the Fed. Right. Yeah, the I Fed mean, is in a really horrible position, man. It's in a really horrible position because we have. I mean, break-even inflation. Uh, the tip spread, the five-year tip spread, uh, is kind of stabilizing at two point five percent. And I think the reason why that is because all this money has been printed. It's still sloshing around. Bank loans are still really really quite high uh uh so bank loans are really quite high and 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 rising still um there might be some seasonal fluctuations that show a dip here and there but they're still on a up uh really upper trend so you have you have all this money the fed created you still have a lot of lending that's going on and the inflation is killing uh half the country well, sure it is. They can't. They they can't buy their wants, and they're barely able to afford their needs. So I think the reason why inflation, this break-even inflation, what investors expect inflation to be in five years, is kind of uh, settling at two point five percent, is because we have this drop in aggregate demand that's pushing pushing inflation down. At the same time, we still have all this money sloshing around, and we have all this money lending going on. So I think that's why it's kind of settling in there. Uh, uh, so I think it's going to get. I think it get I think it get actually worse. Well, I, I, why 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 are people still believing these numbers? I mean, you talked earlier. Yeah, I, 
You talked earlier about the amount of good people that basically bust their fanny to come up with these numbers for the BLS. Yet at the end of the day, they're talking about rent up seven percent in the last year, and everybody knows it was up. Or the last two years, everybody knows it was up twenty. You take the yeah. you take the the big ones like that, or, or you, you look at health uh, health care is what seven percent of the of the basket when we know it's twenty one percent of the pop, of the of the spending. So I mean, yeah. when, I mean, I don't I don't know what desk these things land on uh, where somebody makes that call, but I I don't know what I would do if I was at. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, if I would I would insist, I guess. Hell, if I was doing a union negotiation, or if I was, if I was going to sign a manufacturing agreement, surely, if I was going to build houses for somebody, you know, three houses a year for the next ten years, I would want some uh, cola uh, cost of living in their increase. But I, I, I could no more trust the CPI than I could trust, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's no way. I mean, I mean, I, the, the, I could never keep pace. What if, what if you had a cost of living adjustment with the CPI and you were building houses over the last 10 years? I, I can't believe you're not out of business. Yeah. Well, trusting government statistics, I, I kind of started losing trust in them. when uh, I remember uh, back when Obama was running for re-election and the unemployment rate dropped from 8.3 to 7.9 from like September to October. And all my liberal friends on Facebook were celebrating it. And all my conservative friends were accusing the BLS of cooking the books just right before an election to, you know, inflate his vote total. And, you know, I was like, you know, I don't think the BLS is able. I mean, yeah, thousands and thousands of people working for the BLS tackling these numbers. I mean, that would require a lot of people to be in on the lie. No, no, I think it just gets and to a, year, a certain desk, and then there's an yeah. adjustment made. You see, you see it yeah. in the same spot. You see, it's, it's been. Yeah. It's if you were to take healthcare. And move it since 2000, and 2000. If you were to take healthcare yeah. and move it to sixteen percent of the basket instead of seven, you'd had inflation for the last twenty five years, twenty three years. Well, you, if you look at it, New York City, my wife and I are trying to find a dentist. We have health insurance, or we have dental insurance, right, for our kids and ourselves. We cannot find one no. dentist office in New York City to take on new patients. And I told my wife, you know what it is? It's this cartel uh, with you know the agreement. Between the health insurance companies and the dentist offices, they don't need any new patients because they're restricting output because they are charging monopoly prices. And that's uh, what it is. That's sort of one way of looking at it. Uh, I my dentist who just uh, I use the term croaked, but a year and a half ago or so, or two years, I was with the guy for God knows forever, and uh, and he wouldn't take any insurance, never did, and. Uh, and I said to his mom, he, he, you know, grumpy old Irish guy, but uh, his daughter, I said, you know, uh, Noreen, what's the deal? What's the deal with your dad not taking insurance? And she says, Tom, a, a well-run dental practice uh, has a margin of about 30%. He goes, they want a 30% discount. Why would we do that? Wow. And she said, the numbers are exactly the same as our, 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 uh, you know, our uh, margin is they want the discount. So why why would we do that? Because you might get a few more people. You might pick up a little bit on the volume. She said, but all you're doing is working harder. Yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting, too, because in New York, there's two kinds of insurance policies. 
and there's an insurance policy that we have very little we don't pay very much in terms of a fee I think we probably pay $20 a visit and it pretty much covers everything yeah and then there's the other one where the co-pays are a lot higher and it seems like we picked the wrong one because in dentist office here in, in, in New York City they want the one where the co-pays are a lot higher so or, or they want that, the one that, where you paid a full bore and the company reimburses you some percentage of it. That way they're out of the loop. Yeah, yeah. Because they just want... Yeah. But I mean, but it, 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 I mean, as you know, I mean, if you want to go into a, uh, any kind of a doctor's office now, well, actually my new doctor does, it's not that way, uh, but they have, there has to be two or three people in there that all they do is play with the insurance companies. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, the overhead is, is dramatic. And you have to imagine that if you just walked in and how much was the visit? And you peeled off a fifty and handed to the guy; he'd be just as happy. Probably, yeah, because I remember getting a, a GI, a, 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 getting an appointment to see a GI doctor. I didn't actually see the doctor, but the copay was eighty dollars. Yeah, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, they're probably getting four hundred, five hundred dollars from the insurance company, and my copay's eighty. My maximum willingness to pay to see that particular doctor was probably around $80. Yeah, so they got an extra Everybody be, Everybody be a lot happier, and he could probably fire two people if he just gave the guy 250 SP Futures <laughs> up, up a quarter, and NASDAQ Futures down. I mean, sometimes you got to look at stuff like that, right? I mean, Yeah, I think so, yeah. SP Futures down uh, 17. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. 
Well, we're back to Jackson. I'm tomorrow, Matt Weber on the board. So, Matty, what's your over-under on, on Hal knowing what juice jacking is? Well, he may have been listening in when he talked about it last segment, but if he wasn't, I'm going to say he probably doesn't know because I didn't know. And, and you're you're my guy on this stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, we're, we're, on, we're all over the place here, but very, very light uh, volume. And uh, SP Futures up one, NASDAQ Futures down 12. We were up a little bit, we came in, then they went down, now they're back kind of unchanged. Dow Futures up 12. I don't have anything in the Dow uh, really moving at all. I got Boeing up a buck, that's about it. Uh, well, Home Depot's up 217 after being down earlier or late last week, so they're all coming back. Costco had a huge down day like it was last Friday, and you now they've come back maybe half of that. Uh, over in Europe, we got the DAX up 41.2%, FTSE up 22.2%, CAC around up 58.8%. So those are down a little bit from the last time we went through. The CAC round was up almost a percent an hour ago. Over in Asia, these guys are closed, they're not moving. Uh, NECAP 289, that's a full 1%. Hang Seng up 154.7%. Shanghai down one, uh, uh, I'll call that one flat. Well, those guys, the Nikkei and the Hang Seng were closed yesterday, so uh, they're kind of doing a little bit of uh, catch up on that. Yesterday was a wandering day. Dow up 101, SP up 4, NASDAQ down 4. So not much going on. We'll wait for the numbers tomorrow and to a smaller extent the PPI on Thursday. Bonds unchanged, uh, 10 year unchanged, 3.40. Bund up 7 basis points, 2.25. Japan unchanged, 0.46. Uh, we've got oil back under uh, 80 bucks, 79.77, up 3 cents. Rent down 9 cents, 84.09. Oil market's been quiet, even with the Saudis or OPEC doing their stuff a couple weeks. We had like a couple of days went up, and now we just settled right back down again. Natural gas up 5 cents, 2.22. Our Bob down a penny, 2.79. We've got gold up 12.30, uh, 2016. Let's bounce it back, trying to stay over the 2,000 number. Silver up 15 cents, 25.07. Copper up 3 cents, 401. We've got a nice run, and uh, we have a lot of people that are in gold here at PTI. We had a nice run in the last six months there, finally. I was use the term finally. Uh, crypto up 955, 30,130. Bitcoin, when I say crypto, Bitcoin back over 30,000. U.S. dollar, uh, kind of whack whack yet again. Uh, Euro, Euro up to is over 109, and the pound is pushing 125, 124.3. Maybe we got for Stravi Weather Sports. 35 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have one significant uh, issue right now, and that's on the outbound Stevenson. Southbound, just before Illinois 171, which is exit 282, there's a vehicle fire that's blocking the two right lanes and has uh, traffic completely jammed up if you're heading south on the Stevenson I-55 with crews on the scene trying to get that vehicle fire out. Uh, you'll want to avoid that if at all possible. Inbound side is affected as well with gaper traffic, uh, so the Stevenson's a mess. Traffic building steadily on the Eisenhower, but no accidents to report. Same for the inbound Kennedy and Edens. Southside expressways have been relatively well-behaved all day, so that's good news. And uh, no other crashes in the area. So enjoy a nice, quiet commute if you're heading in on a Tuesday, as long as you're avoiding that uh, Stevenson on the southbound side. Weather today, a beautiful uh, April day. Sunshine, a high of 74. Right now it's crystal clear and 54 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunny with a high of 98. Right now it's clear and 69. In sports, White Sox topped the Twins 4-3. Sox are 5-6. and six. Tim Anderson left the game after uh, colliding his knee uh, with a Twins player. Uh, he is being evaluated and is listed as day-to-day. Cubs beat the Mariners in walk-off fashion, 3-2 in the 10th. It was a Nico Horner walk-off single. Cubs are now 5-4 on the young season. Diamondbacks shut out the Brewers, 3-0. Blackhawks uh, were doubled up by the Wild, 4-2 last night at the UC, and it was the Coyotes losing to the Kraken, 4-1.
Hey, last night, uh, so uh, Hal, any, any luck on the juice jacking? Juice jacking? Yeah. What was going on with juice jacking? If you, Is that a baseball term? <laughs> See, you, that's a good guess. <laughs> that's a good guess. Evidently, if you plug your phone into a public charging facility. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Can somebody hack you? Evidently. I, I would never have dreamed. But then again, wow. I would have got asked. But, uh, so, Maddie, your, your boys last night, uh, Pat Hughes and those guys, they were they were they were gathering. Uh, they're they're packing their their bags to leave in the top of the ninth. All of a sudden, the guy hits that bomb home run to tie the game. Yep. Well, that thing was a shot, wasn't it? It was, and uh, yeah, not great after that. But then uh, Cubs got out of it, no further damage, and then they stranded uh, the guy, the uh, you know, the ghost runner in the top of the tenth. Was which, once you do that, you're pretty much what's your win probability at that point? It's oh, it's got to be eighty like percent. Yeah, right? it's got to be up there. Um, so uh, yeah, got out of it, and then Madrigal steals third. That was big. Was that? Have you ever? That wasn't a delayed steal. What was that? He just, I guess he saw something on film or, or whatever that that pitcher just doesn't check runners at second because he just took off when the pitcher still had the ball, and by the time the pitcher you know realized what was going on, he throws it to third and you know slightly wild, and Madrigal's already there. Well, well, the pitcher turned around. The catcher must have must have said something or somebody. Because the guy turned around to throw to second, and meanwhile, Madrigal's two-thirds of his way to third. Yep. And, and by the time he righted himself and threw the third to third baseman, he had no idea what was coming. He was out of position, too. So he was just... That was kind of a risky play by Madrigal. Um, but obviously it worked out. I, I mean, is it really that much value to go from second to third? I mean, obviously it, a sack fly is a win there. But if you get thrown out and now you, you lose your base runner, I mean, that would be brutal. Well, but... The way those guys come in for the play at the plate, even you and I could slap one through a uh, drawn-in infield. Yeah, no, it, it, if you get to third, obviously it's a huge advantage. The drawn-in infield, sack flies a win, all that stuff. But uh, if you get thrown out at third, I, I, that's it's a risky play. That's all I'm saying. Plus, that pitcher liked bringing the ball down. That catcher made like two or three great stops to keep the guy keep him at third before he scored. Yeah. it's a, I, I have not seen a real delayed steal in ages. Uh, I almost want to go on, on uh, YouTube and see... Who's the guy? The guy the Cubs had, Bobby. Uh, was it Bobby Mercer? What the hell was his name? He used to do that. Where you'd yeah, you'd wait till uh, you know, you'd wait till like after the pitch when everybody kind of relaxed, then you'd take off. It was you didn't take off with the pitch. And it was there's a, been guys that have done that over the year. Uh, uh, an interesting guy that's done that before, who's not very fast, but was a really good base runner, was uh, Anthony Rizzo. He he did a he had a few of those delayed steals where he just kind of would lull, lull you to sleep. No one expected him to go, and all of a sudden he took off after the pitch was was thrown and and. and takes a bag. And there's nobody to throw to. Right. The, uh, I think this, this Cub team is, is actually fairly fun to watch, and I, I, I like Russ, the manager. Um, well, I think Ross is a great manager. There's no doubt. He hasn't had the horses. Um, you know, he took him to the playoffs in his first year in 2020, and then, you know, they've been really bad the last two years. Uh, this year, this team's better, and they get Saya back in a week, which that'll help in right field defensively and his bat, obviously. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, that's a team that I think can certainly compete for a wild card. We'll see, barring injury. They're not very deep, so if they have a couple injuries, they're going to be in big trouble. But um, they're, they're, they're starting, uh, starting nine, and the top of the rotation looks pretty formidable. Well, you know, you're, uh, you, you're never going to agree with me on this. Yeah, we've, had, we've had standoffs on certain things all the zillion years I've known, Matty. I'm going to say that Patrick Wisdom, his average being up so much this year, Half, at least half of that is, which is, means three or four hits, uh, is due to the fact that he now has people around him. Yeah, I think. That's oh yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. If you have really good people around you, it makes your job much easier, right? You're and Nick get... Madrigal, he was awesome at Oregon State. 
Yeah, that's right. He went to Oregon State. Won, won the uh, College yeah. World Series at least one, maybe two. Yeah, he he was an incredible college baseball player. Well, all these guys. Yeah. There was a uh, uh, real quick because we got to get back to our, our money stuff, but uh, the. Uh, this Cora thing that I that people keep sending me not people I, I somehow got hooked into it. Somebody said how how good is a major league baseball player? So the guy answers and he goes, "I'm in a in a really good softball league." And he goes, "This guy made it to." He said he might have been a week in AAA, but he was pretty much his whole career was in AA. Finally, he quits. He's an accountant or whatever. He comes to, to play for our team and he's 35. He goes, he's a lefty. He's an unbelievable shortstop, and he's the best hitter in the league, and he's like the fastest guy in the league. He goes, oh, he, goes, that, he goes, that's and the guy's thirty-five and never made it to the major leagues. He goes, that's yeah. how good these guys are. I mean, it's yeah. Well, I saw the Red Sox play uh, the Detroit Tigers in two thousand three in Boston when I was there for a summer internship, and Detroit was horrible. But I couldn't believe how skilled they were. The the third the shortstop picking up a ground ball and just the skill it took. To, yeah. I mean, they got beat, too, and I was just amazed at how, in person, how good they were. Well, that's what we always say, Chief. you got to go to at least one big yeah. league game a year so you, you get reminded of how good they are just on oh, the, the it's routine It's just incredible plays. how good they are. Well, that's that's the, the quote from the guy sitting next to you, my bro. Yeah. My brother Dan, who doesn't like to go, he likes, doesn't like the prices, and, and Dan's been a, a solid softball player for 40 years. Still plays. And, uh, and he and he says, you have to realize how hard the root a routine ground ball is, and how virtually no nobody can make that play. You don't pick that up yeah. on TV, no. Uh, but you, you see it in person. It's like good god. And you or, get, or just like going to hockey. It's like going to hockey game live. And oh yeah. how fast it is. Yeah, it's crazy. I like the throws in from the outfield that you don't really appreciate on TV that you see in person. You're like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that because I was out the deepest part of the ballpark, and they, they were catching fly balls like at, I don't know 400 feet deep, and just throwing them like they're. 25 feet away to the the, the shortstop. It's crazy how how long that throw is and how accurate they are. It's just incredible amount of skill. Well, when I before I had like to do stuff like work, when we used to go to the ball games. Of course, I, I don't, did I even do this. I've been to a game, a couple games, somewhat early, Matt. But boy, if you if you went at like 10 o'clock back in the 60s or 70s, you got a two-hour show of guys throwing the ball in from the outfield and people doing hitting practice and ground ball. I mean. You, that was almost as entertaining as the game. Did they still do all that in the morning, or is it, is it earlier? I mean, it's never, if you get there an hour before the game, the, the, the field is just, there's no, nobody out there except a couple guys maybe jogging. I think there's there's some of that, but it's less and less. Most guys don't do as much on-field stuff before games now that, that they used to. Because it was, it was a lot of fun. And they, one day I'm watching, uh, it was Randy Hundley, and uh, I think it might have been Sano or somebody. They go out, and they're just, like, playing catch. Well, they, they start, you know, like maybe – 50 feet apart, kind of lobbing the ball, and then one guy back takes a step back, and the other guy takes a step back. All of a sudden, Hundley's like playing, he's at the plate, and whoever he's playing catches with is out where the old bullpen used to be, maybe 50 <laughs> feet behind third base. And they're just throwing these aspirin tablets at each other. They, and they look like a clothesline, and they're just playing catch, and I'm going, good lord, <laughs> this is just, this is warming up, and these guys got an arm like that. I mean, it, it, it is unreal. I mean, it really is. Well, when I played when I played softball at Washington State, my PhD program, the the kids marked off a major league baseball diamond instead of a softball diamond, and I keep telling them this is a baseball. You got the baseball measurements, and the guy goes, "No, this is softball." And I go, "You're wrong." And I was playing third base, and I got that first ground ball right at me, the hot corner, and I tried throwing it to 
first base with a softball on a baseball layout. And <laughs> Good it luck with three that. Hopped. It three hopped to first base. <laughs> that, that was a 12 inch. That wasn't even a 16. <laughs> so, uh, Hal, give us a sneak back to our, our, our stuff here. Because this, this is all management. I mean, I really hope that, although I'm, I think I'm 100% correct here and I really hope I'm wrong, that somehow or another we've been lulled. We, the country, has been lulled into this. Whatever you overspend, whatever you do, you can you can uh, always, in a short term, print enough money to fix it. And we did that with the banking thing. If you that I can't get over how flawed that is with the with the theory. I think I know that is so flawed. And when, I think people around the world are seeing that, and they go, "If that's going to be America's response to everything, just more money." And by the way, I've got some of their hundos in my pocket. That every time they do that, my pocket shrinks. Even though you're right, it's probably still, you know, the the you know the prettiest ugly girl in the place or ugly guy in the place, whatever. It 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 still sucks. I mean, your your yeah. your money's supposed to be a storehouse of value, and not not treated like they can do whatever they want with it. I mean, otherwise, you know, I mean, when Lou was on last week and I talked to my uh, buddy Mike, you know, he's an army guy. Says a lot of this is one of the reasons why. America is losing their respect because not just they don't have enough planes to protect us anymore or tanks or whatever. I, mean, I don't know what that even means, but the fact is we can't even, we can't count on their money. How can we count on them? I mean, it, it, and I, those guys are absolutely convinced that that's part of national defense is being strong monetarily as well as everything else. And we don't seem to have any inkling to want to stay that way. We don't care. Well, you got you got Republicans calling for war with Mexico right now. Too. I mean, we got this war in Ukraine that we're we're fighting, you know, via proxy. We got this thing that's going on in Taiwan, uh, Taiwan right? Yep. And then all of a sudden, you got uh, Lindsey Graham, MTG Green, and, or MTG, whatever you want to call her, and you got uh, Dan Crenshaw in Texas calling for war with Mexico. What kind of war? Right? Like an invasion? A, a, a cartel war. They want to go in and take out the cartel. That didn't work very well in Afghanistan and so I think I mean you got all this money being printed you got these if the the treasury and the fed didn't backstop um, the deposits um, of all the depositors at these banks that were in trouble I, I we would have had a, a problem but I think it's going to be a, a, a worse problem in the long run because all they're doing is they're papering over every seems like every loss yeah. Of the big banks, they're just papering over them. They're 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 going to create an even bigger problem. What we need to do is we need to have a reckoning. A recession needs to happen, and then when that recession's over, we need to change the rules of the Fed so that maybe adopt a monetarist role uh, rule where you know the M two grows at a steady rate of well, I'd be know, all for that annually. I'd be all for that. That's it. That's all the Fed does, which right? is actually pretty hard. And regulating yeah, banks. Yeah, I think I, I think it's pretty hard to do, but th- maybe they have a window, right? They have a tight window where they try to keep the M2 as close to like a three percent annual growth rate as possible, and that's we have to have a we have to have a reckoning. These malinvestments that are created have to fail. Um, people who make bad decisions have to fail so they make they learn and make better decisions in the future. So we I think we have to have a reckoning. We have to clean house. We have to do spring cleaning, and then we got to change the rules of the Fed, 
and have them stop papering over the deficits that the Republicans and Democrats produce every year. Now, what do you make? That, of, and that's uh, the only that's the only thing we can do, I think. What do you make of? Uh, I don't know if you listened on Friday, and I'm I, I mean I uh, I'm probably more of a pure monetarist than he is, Carl. But uh, he looks at things a little differently. That's why I love having him on, as I do you. Because even though we, I think we, we all want to get to the right place, yeah. I always think that I'm on the right road, and you guys are like, maybe I'm not on the right road, even though our destination is the same. You know, I mean, yeah. uh, type of thing. And 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 he was saying that you you can't have a situation where uh, some people actually, it would be bad enough if it was everybody could borrow money less than the inflation rate. Yes, but we're in a situation where only only the chosen can do that. Yeah. And, and look at what's happened. I mean, I, one of the guys in the office yesterday gets a uh, American Express wants him to go from just paying every month, which he's done for you know I don't know how many years, to being able to carry his uh, you know carry the balance. Guess what? Guess what the guess what the rate was? Twelve. Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. Oh my God! I don't wow. know. If, I don't know if that's for everybody, or just for this particular card, or if you, or you can, or or if he sent it in and his credit rating's better than that, it would come out to be less than thirty, or but it could have been as high as thirty. I think is the story. And yet, wow. And yet, and I and I think you know what what Carl's talking about, and I would love your opinion, is that if the inflation rate that these, I was going to say clowns say it's five percent, you and I, I think think it's more like 9 or 10. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, to, to finish before break, back back during the 70s and 80s when I was doing this stuff for Pullman, the money supply was growing about 12.5% a year. The inflation rate was about 12% a year, which matched up, right? And and I noticed that Pullman, the stuff that we were buying for, you know, wheels and trucks and uh, lights and seats and all that kind of crap, and the steel, was all about 12%. Yeah, it never dawned on me that I can't trust the CPI number. I mean, it, it might have been off by a percent or so, but it, it got you to the right place. Where now, I the last ten years, wait a minute, they're telling me it's been two percent, and I know it's been eight. I mean, wh- what would yeah. I what would I do with that contract other than you know, like in major league, throw it in the ground and pee on it, right? I mean, what good is it? Well, do? if American Express is charging thirty percent, they have a pretty good idea what real inflation is, and it's probably closer to fifteen, I would think. Well, so government numbers are way I think, off. I don't think I mean, it's if they're, if they're willing anymore. to charge thirty. I don't think it's fifteen anymore. I think it was the, for yeah. first year of COVID. But where I'm, I guess where I'm, where I'm going with this is that they, uh, if some people can borrow under the inflation rate, you know, according to Carl, that that's why somebody will pay four billion dollars for a a football team or a baseball team because they're not even worried about, wait a minute, if I had actually pay 7% for that money, $4 billion, where's that? That's $280 million a year I got to write an interest or implied interest, because nobody knows that term even means anymore, or implied interest. There's no way this team makes $280 million. I could never do that. But, but Carl says what ends up happening is if you're borrowing less than the rate of inflation uh, or your implied number is that, if you have it, you just say I don't care because because I'm going to get I'm going to get the difference. So in ten years, I'm going to be able to sell this for seven or eight billion. It's going to double, even though the inflate my my implied interest was only two percent. So I'm actually getting uh, an, an inflation rate of seven, even though my implied interest is only two. 
is once you start doing that, you screw everybody up that doesn't have that ability to to borrow with that. No, yeah. nobody should be able to borrow less than the inflation rate. It, it drives the gap between the wealthy and everybody else. Yeah, d- dramatically, dramatically. Yeah, and you know it, what I, dri- it drives the wedge. But the, in all the years that I've, I guess I sort of had that figured out, I never put it together quite like that. So I guess I'm a dumb well, it, in that regard. But. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I think I wrote an article about this. Um, when interest rates are lowered, what do consumers do? They buy consumer goods because inflation is destroying their paychecks. What do rich people do? Uh, investors, you know, people who are getting uh, loans at below the real rate of interest, right? Or the, right. the, the, the inflation rate. They have a negative real rate of interest. What are they doing? They're leveraging the purchases of assets. Right. And that, that right there, that mechanism is what drives. And it's only possible because the Federal Reserve, uh, I, I think maybe they're trying to do good, but the consequences of doing good creates that massive gap between the rich and the poor. It's not capitalism. If we had no. a free market capitalist system, prices would be coming down. We don't have a free market capitalist right. system. We have cartels everywhere. We have cartel. We have cartels on top of cartels. The international banking system, the central banks throughout the world are a cartel. They probably worked together and coordinated their activities to inflate their currencies at equal paces. And then on top of that, they're pyramided on top of the nation's cartel of banks. So it's a cartel on top of a cartel. And if if we had a free market system, prices would be coming down. And quality be going up, and living standards would be rising. Well, what happens when you just mentioned? Uh, I talked earlier about how dangerous I hear find out it is in South Africa, and they have you know a government. Uh, obviously, it's not apartheid anymore. I don't even have a clue as to what their government's made up of. I can make a guess, but I won't since I don't know. Uh, and you have, I don't think there's a lot of U.S. money in Mexico, or I mean in South Africa. And yet, I mean, there are people, rightly or wrongly, I think more rightly, say that your foreign policy is really a an extension of protecting U.S. business interests, or maybe even worldwide business interests. If you know Pfizer's not here, but I'm sure we care about them too for some reason because they give enough money. Well, there's a a a bleep load of U.S. money in Mexico that was that was invested there. I'm going to say you know, I'm going to say for all the right reasons, but. Uh, it was invested there, you know, plant. The idea was, at least the economist's idea was, back when I was in school, was now you were going to create customers in the Chevy plant. Soon those guys would be making 10 bucks an hour. And, oh, by the way, they're going to be buying stuff up here. You're creating customers, and, and Mexico will be a hell of a lot better place 25 years from now. A lot of these people will be customers, blah, blah, blah. So the, the amount of billions and billions of U.S. dollars there in Mexico, and all of a sudden the Mexican government, not all of a sudden, can't, not only protect their people, they can't protect our investors' money, and they can't do any of that stuff. And you can talk to your blue in the face to the president of Mexico. Simple fact is, he can't control the cartels any more than the mayor of Chicago seemingly can control the streets here. To where or, or the or the New York City can yeah stop the black market cigarettes and pot or yeah. California right. Well, they don't a they become part of it and they're making money off it, so they're not going to yeah. stop it. Uh, or and B, it's too hard to stop anyway. So I mean, yeah. so I mean, they got a bunch of things against them. So all of a sudden, somebody says, "Hey, these these gangs of thugs in Mexico—they not only are driving people across the border, which nobody wants—they're stealing all my stuff. 
that the factory can never get in out of the way because these guys are beating up people going to the factory. Whatever it is they're doing, uh, you know, I mean, the guy here in the building tells me that some people in his town got in, a, got in a van, paid people off to come up here to the U.S. They were never seen or heard from again, and the van was never found. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, at some point, people are going to say, hey, this Mexican government isn't worth a squat. All, all we know is there's a bunch of bandits down there taking our stuff. So when you say yeah. a war, I don't, I'm not a bit surprised that somebody, at least in a frustrating thing, would say, hey, we got to take some of these guys out. Look what they're doing to us. Well, it's like you kill a roach in New York City in your house or apartment. What happens? A new roach takes that roach's place. You take out a cartel, a, a, a cartel that's selling a product that people are demanding, even though it's illegal. You take out that cartel because there's this this price and these markets are extremely high. You take out one cartel, another cartel is going to fill the, the well, place. We've learned that lesson with prohibition. You take out the mob, a new mob there comes in and uh, sells the product that people want that is illegal. You know what, though? That, that is the economist perspective, and I like to think of myself as one. I'm not a uh, PhD like you and some other guys on the show. But you know what? That's, that's absolutely wrong, I think, because... At some level of enforcement that neither you nor I want to go, you can stop it. I, I guarantee you, Tom, I bet these cartels are probably somehow donating to the politicians. I, oh, I'm with you. I, they, I, oh, they encourage we have no, the drug war, the, we, the enforcement of the drug we, war, we have, and the we, ban on drugs. Yeah, we, we have, you and I are not arguing about that. I will never yeah. disagree with you on that. What I'm yeah. saying is we, we see countries that you and I don't want to live in yeah. that you actually... There is no cartel, or maybe the government's the only cartel, which probably is really the answer. But yeah. there are places where you can leave the windows open and your laptop in the front seat. Nobody is going to take that laptop yeah. because they are scared bleepless of whatever it is, the military, the police. Oh, my, mom, my mother-in-law was telling me about the police in Haiti. When she was a little girl, everybody knew not to steal anything because if you stole something from a store, there were three levels of prison. The first level of prison was for like petty theft. There were daily whipping. Yeah. Before you ate, you got whipped. Well, I mean, I don't uh, want to. I don't want to go there. I, and I don't. Have, yeah. I don't want to go there either. But you compare that to what's going on in New York City. Yeah. Yeah. Where people can assault somebody and then they're out of jail the next day. Yeah. It's 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 nuts. I mean, I don't want to yeah. go there either. Where. Oh, guess what? He can't steal anymore because they cut off his hand. I mean, uh, I'm not yeah. going there, Al. But, I, I, yeah. but, but the fact is, this they're all good people. They're, I mean, if you're in Mexico now, somebody somewhere has to put their finger on these people. It's not going to be me. It's not going to be you. Yeah. But somebody somewhere, they can't control the whole country. Tom, you know. all we have to do is make it legal, regulate it like any other good or a service, and, and tax it like that. Legal people will come in and sell the you know product. We just, It'll we be did, cleaner, safer, and cheaper, and the cartels will be out of business. We just did that with marijuana, and the price difference, they're still selling But But we have taxes and regulation that create a black market environment. Right, you right. have to regulate it and tax it just like any other good, and the cartels will go. Well, we'll go we, still, away. we still have people doing it with cigarettes. Don't go away, Matt. Just go away. <laughs> just, because the taxes are so high. I like that. Right? Matty, Matty, you like that. Yeah. Don't go away, Matt. Just go away. What, I, I agree. What, what does the bartender <laughs> said? you got to be someplace. You just can't be here. Yep. It's, <laughs> Al, thank you very much, buddy. SB Futures down 50 cents. NASDAQ, I mean, up 50 cents. NASDAQ down 20. 
tomorrow we'll still be waiting for these numbers and then uh, during the show tomorrow it'll all happen we'll be right we'll be right back tomorrow morning stacks and jacks what do we learn palmer i don't know sir i don't know either i guess we learned not to do it again Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.